You have reached the New Teacher Hotline, presented by the American Board for Certification of Teacher Excellence. If you need help with your lesson plans, please press 1 now. If you smiled before December, please press 2 now. If you'd like to hear our podcast, please press 3 now. Thanks for calling. The new teacher hotline starts now. Hello and welcome to the New Teacher Hotline, episode four. We're getting into a groove now. You can't stop us. You can only hope to contain us. My name is Mike Kelly. I am sitting here with Glenn, who's wearing a tie because he's worked hard all day, and I have jeans on because I have worked less hard. So, Glenn, how are you? I'm, I've worked hard all day. Let's get rolling. Okay. <laughs> that sounds good to me. It's a little warm where we are. Yes, it so is. <laughs> things could get zany. At some point. It's uncomfortable, actually. (laughs) I'm taking the tie off now. That's a good idea. This week, we're going to talk a little bit about the interview process. So no matter who you are, no matter what kind of preparation track you come from, you've got to be interviewed to get your job. You just don't walk in and you say, hire me. It'll be the best decision you've ever made. What do you want to tell them? Well, it depends. I'm assuming the interviewer has generally the control of the situation, questions they want to know about. Now, here's a question. You do a lot of hiring. Exactly what role do you play in the hiring process? Well, I'm one of the interviewers okay. and recruiter, and uh, I look for talent and then uh, screen it accordingly. Okay. So you're one of the first interview levels, and then I guess for the teachers in your instruction area, science, you're then also one of the last. Right. Exactly. Okay. So let's pretend we're at a very early stage. Let's say that we're at a recruiting fair or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. I remember doing those. I remember doing one yep. at Towson University where mm-hmm. it was a giant gym floor full of counties, every county, every district in the state. Right. And it was a mad rush. You got tickets based on how early you got there. You charged <laughs> down. I was like the second 100 people there. <laughs> and you had a floor plan and you ran down and you tried to get to the counties you wanted to get to as fast as possible. It still works that way. Really, just chaos, like a wedding store sale? uh, Sort of, yeah. They try to organize a little better, but typically some of these larger ones, you're looking at a 1,000 students. So here's clue number one. Okay. Put yourself in a position of the interviewer. Having seen 50 candidates already, what are you going to do that's different or will make your application stand out above the others? I went to a recruiting fair recently, and I will say this. The applicants were very well coached. Well, let me tell you what I observed. Well, you say that almost uh, disparagingly. Is that no. a good thing or a bad thing? Oh, no, it's a good thing. They were okay. very well coached, okay. exclamation point. I thought maybe like an attorney would coach someone as if to don't well, answer that question. No, 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 no. You don't have to answer that. No. Uh, by coaching, I mean that they made a great First impression, that's number one. And as I recall, the dress of the day Mm -hmm. was the same for both sexes. Black suit, white shirt. They looked like they were coming right off of Wall Street. They looked professional. And as a recruiter, you're sitting there thinking, okay, that's step number one. They've crossed the first hurdle. They look like a professional. So you're talking about not just clothes that you would necessarily wear in the classroom, not a golf shirt with khakis. Correct. We're talking about 
The full nine yards. Yeah. You need to look like a professional. And that's before you even arrive at the interview area. Uh, a lot of times the recruiter will see you. They'll notice how you walk, how you act, what you're saying, how you're interacting with other people, and especially how you're dressed. So if you're dressed like a bum, they will consider you a bum, and you'll have a tough time getting the job. But if you're dressed as a professional, then, okay, you're over the first hurdle. So first hurdle, dress for success. Well, exactly. Dress like a professional. Dress like you really want the job and you know what you're doing. Okay. I'm writing these down as if I'm going to an interview next week. Okay, okay. Well, I hope you get the job. <laughs> the The second thing would be, okay, now that you're there, the first impressions beyond the dress would be your demeanor. As you approach the table or your area, uh, it's always a good idea to be looking at the interviewer, uh, good eye contact. And I don't mean the evil eye. I mean a friendly look, a smile. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> A smile, shake their hands, uh, be be happy, give that air of confidence in a friendly way. You don't want somebody who looks nervous and terrified to be there because, I mean, when the person gets into the classroom, they're exactly. going to be terrified in front of the student. And that's the first thing that a recruiter will look at is how well is this person deporting themselves? Can they stand up under pressure? And if they can't stand here in front of me, uh, they're probably not going to do well in front of a class of 30 students. Okay, that makes sense. So you're looking for confidence? Mm-hmm. That matches your professional dress, professional dress, professional attitude. Yeah, and along with that, you know, a sense of humor, you know, a good smile, some laughs, and, you know, I don't mean silly, but I mean be pleasant, be happy. So what's the difference? Because when you're nervous, it's hard to tell. What's the difference between having a good sense of humor and, well, being silly, other than the obvious, we'll say, other than cracking a knock-knock joke or something like that, honking the interviewer's nose? (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Those are both good examples of silly. Thank you. What the recruiter is going to look for is someone that can, first of all, think on their feet, be professional, but doing it in a way that's pleasing. If the recruiter says something that's funny, then, yeah, by all means, laugh. And And if it's not funny, still laugh. Well, if it's no. in, if it's intended to be funny, okay. <laughs> go ahead and laugh. <laughs> if you are preparing for an interview and you are nervous, as most of us are, the best thing you can do is go get a drink of water. Relax a little bit. Imagine yourself doing the interview and go through it in your head before you sit down and do it for real. What kind of questions should people expect? I think that's the thing I was most nervous about. I know I need to be confident. I know I need to dress professionally, mm-hmm. but the thing that scares me the most is what kind of questions am I going to get? Right. Well, uh, remember the recruiter or the interviewer only has a certain amount of time. That's so true. So they've got to learn as much about you as a person in the shortest amount of time. So you might get one or two questions based on your subject, and there may be a twist to them just to see your depth of knowledge. But probably what the interviewer or recruiter is going to want to know is how well do you like kids? How well can you teach in class? How much about teaching do you know? How much experience have you had as a teacher, whether it's in Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, church camp, parks and rec, coaching? What amount of background do you bring to the table? And how will you be able to handle stressful situations? Like the interview. The the other thing that the interviewer is going to want to know is how prepared are you to teach? What can you tell the interviewer about what you're doing right now or you have done that indicates I'm ready to walk in that classroom tomorrow and do an outstanding job. So be ready for a personal experience. A typical question might be, what have you learned in your background that might give us a, an indication that you know how to teach? 
Okay. So maybe what, what have you done? You've had. Yeah. Have you coached? If so, what was it like? What was your most memorable experience? What did you do for the child who couldn't learn? What did you do for the child who wouldn't learn? And what about the kids who were more than willing to learn? How did you deal with them? And then how did you deal with them all at the same time? Okay. So actually classroom management in some cases. Classroom management and being able to sort out things and still put together a meaningful lesson. So delivering instruction too. Mm -hmm. How would you deal with a kid who can't learn? So maybe maybe that's a trick question. Maybe that question is, well, what? The question isn't how would I deal with the kid. The question, the bigger question is why isn't he learning? Right, exactly. Mike, you've hit it right on the head. The service question is obvious, but what the investigator really wants to know is can they see beyond the obvious? What have you done to determine the real cause? Is it something outside of classroom? Is it something inside of the classroom? Is it something the teacher did, something the student did, something that the other classmates have done? Do you know? Have you even bothered to find out? Well, let me hit you with a couple questions. Okay. All right. I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to make you the interviewee. I'm all a tingle. Give me your <laughs> your top five questions that you use to start the interview, just rapid fire. Okay. Well, I do it a little differently than most because I want to know right off the bat. You're what, dodging the question, sir. I know. On, on purpose. <laughs> okay. The first question that I always ask is tell me a little bit about your background and why you want to be a teacher. It allows the candidate to talk about something they know about. Everybody knows what they've done. The extension of that is now tell me about what you've done that will prepare you as a teacher. In other words, have you have you taught before? Do you have any experience? If not, okay, go to the next question. If so, well, what is it? Elaborate on it. And then you can pursue with other questions such as, like we said before, tell me about the one child that did not learn. Tell me about your most happy day. Doing that allows the candidate to become more at ease. I must say there are a number of recruiters and interviewers who skip that. They go right into the questions. The tough questions. They're trying to weed out exactly right in the beginning. Mm -hmm. So what kind of questions would those be? What are some of the tougher questions you've ever heard in this? If I was a student in your class and the lowest possible grade was a 60 and I scored a 53 at the end of the marking period, would you fail me? So what do you mean the lowest possible grade? In other words, the the county or the school or the district has said anything below a 60 or 60 percent is failing. And I'm a student in your class, and at the end of the marking period, my score tallies 53. Okay. So I'm asking you, would you fail me? Yes. Okay. Is that the wrong answer? No. Am I fired? Nope. Second nine weeks, I am fired. I, uh, I've increased my score. I'm now up to a 55. Second marking period, I've increased my score. It's obvious. Would you fail me again? Uh, yes. Third nine weeks, let's say 59. 59. Would you fail me for the third nine weeks? So we're getting into that gray area. We're getting into that really you, you've close. You've been in gray areas since the first question. Yeah, have I? Yes, you have. Oh, dear. Well, this comes all down to a, a grading mm. philosophy of mine. And that's, I probably that, that's I know we're, we're running short on time. No, that's what we're going to find out. Right okay. Now. Well, my grading philosophy was always that my grades were not necessarily accurate to three significant digits, for example. Would you fail me or not? You're you're going to that math thing again. I am. I'm blo- I'm stalling myself. Now. I know you are. <laughs> See the interviewer. I'm hoping you forget the question for that. <laughs> well, what would you do? <laughs> I think once a student was showing significant effort and trying to make that passing grade, I would try to meet them halfway if it was close enough to the. Okay, so grade. 59, you would pass me. 
No, yes I, would, or no? I don't think it's a black and white. I think it would depend on the situation. I used to draft student okay, contracts. Okay, what's the situation? Okay, here's my situation. I'm going to finally answer your question. Okay, all right. You've turned this around, by the way. I know. I put you on the hot seat, and it's turned completely around. <laughs> I'm aware of that, and I don't know how to address it. <laughs> so I'm just going to keep Clever going. how I did that. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to play this back, and I'm going to learn from this. <laughs> I'm not going to say I can do it, and I'm going to learn something, I think. Uh, okay. Well, did you fail me or not? For the third nine weeks, I had a 59. Here's what I would do. All right. If pass or fail. Just one word? Yeah. Let's start with one word, pass or fail. Pass. Ooh, and you have broken the county rule. I have. Uh, the lowest possible grade is a 60. You passed me with a 59. Ah, but here's what I would do. All this right. Is, this is how I would frame it now that I'm on the edge of losing this <laughs> job that I never had. <laughs> if I had students in a situation, they were really trying hard. And I mean, we're talking about three quarters now. So we well, have this a, is part of the interview. Are you going to do this as part of the interview? I am. This is what okay. I would do. All right. This may not be the right thing, and you can tell me. Okay. But let's say that after three quarters, the student has progressively increased, right. which is... Which I did. Which is exactly the opposite of what I would expect. Mm -hmm. Most students, as they fail, tend to expect failure and tend to stop caring. So if a student has progressively throughout the year really worked hard and has gotten to a point, and maybe 59 is the best this kid can do. Oh, it's not. You didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> you, you didn't ask. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I think at this point I would sit down in these situations. I sit down with the child and I say, this is the situation. You've got a 59%. I don't anticipate the migrating system is accurate to this number of decimal places. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I can't guarantee that every single time I've graded the paper, every single time this entire quarter, for every assignment, for every quiz, for every test, that I've gotten the grade exactly so right. So you're incriminating yourself as you go, of course. I would say, but <laughs> this is the best metric that I have. Okay. It shows that you're on the borderline. It doesn't convince me that you've absolutely failed because this failing number is a 60 and you're close. Mm -hmm. So what we'll do is we'll create a behavioral contract. And we are going to establish these two points on this quarter to take you to a 61 beyond the 60, beyond the shadow of a reasonable doubt. Okay. And these are the expectations I have. You are going to increase your homework score by this percent next quarter, your quiz score by this percent next quarter, your test score by this percent next quarter. And if you meet all of these requirements, then you get to keep the 61. Otherwise, next quarter, I'm taking those two points off of whatever you get. That's probably not the best practice, but that's what I used to do. So okay. now tell me how you would respond to that situation. Well, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll ask another question. Okay. And then I'll tell you where all this is leading to. Okay. okay. You passed me with a 59. I, would you pass me with a 58? I probably would not, no. So the difference is one point. Yes. What about a child that had an 89? Would you give him a 90? Give him the difference between a B and an A? My policy was, and I had it in my rules, it was a one-point policy. Okay, so anybody that's got an 89 could automatically petition to get a 90. Yes, they could. Okay, very good. Here's the gist of that question. It has many pitfalls. What I'm trying to find out, what the interviewer is trying to find out, is do you treat grading as a process or a product? And that will determine how a lot about how you teach in class. Okay. A person who treats it as a product says 60 is 60, and I don't care if you've got a 59.9999, you fail. Somebody who treats it as a process will say, well, pretty much what you said. There are ways to get around that. We'll make some deals. And you actually fail, but I'm going to pass you with the hope that, and then attach whatever criteria you want to it. The other little piece of information is that in a lot of districts, if you fail the first three marking periods, you've already automatically failed the fourth. Really? Yes, and a lot of new teachers need to check that because mathematically it often works out that way. 
about the last thing a new teacher wants to do is have a child in class who, by the end of the third marking period, already knows I failed for the year. So why do I even so have to pay attention? I got nothing to lose, baby. She's already <laughs> failed. Look out. <laughs> so a lot of people will go ahead and pass the third nine weeks, break the rules, and try to keep the child alive for a fourth nine weeks. The best answer would be, when I said I scored a 53, the best answer would be, well, the first thing I would do is I would never let it get to that. Uh-huh. I would have intervened after the second week and found out why you were scoring so low. I would have implemented a number of realistic interventions. I would have called home. I would have da 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 da, da so that you never would have gotten to a 53. Your would have been, you know, much, much higher. So you're answering as sneakily as the interviewer is asking. Mm-hmm. You're all doing this dance. Exactly. What the interviewer wants to know is, are you thinking beyond the obvious? I see. But at the same time, the interviewer is also determining, are you treating grades as a product or a process? The bottom line is, anytime you're being asked a question, think before you respond. What's the bigger question? What is it that the interviewer is really trying to find out? Typically, if it sounds like an easy question, it probably isn't. There's probably something else that the interviewer is trying to find out. The interviewer will make a lot of decisions about the candidate before they even sit down at the table. Decisions that come after that depend on the demeanor of the applicant and the quality of the answer. Your response needs to be one that you've thought through and one that you feel comfortable with. You want to answer the question as correctly and truthfully as possible. That's number one. But there are questions that have greater depth. And that's what separates a better candidate from an average candidate. They understand the issues that surround the problem. And that saves uh, a teacher a lot of heartaches later on when they're confronted with other issues that have many entanglements attached to them. Can the teacher think their way out of a situation? All right. Well, sounds good. Now, there is one other piece about the interview. Can I go ahead and add it? You can. The candidate must always remember an interview is a two-way street. You need to be looking at the quality of the interview if they offer you the job. In other words, if the guy interviewing you or the gal interviewing you is a slob, does not present himself well, do you really want to work there? So you're saying you're actually kind of trying on that school district like they're trying you on. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a two-way street. You've got mail. In case you don't know, on our website, www.newteacherhotline.com, You can leave comments about each of our individual podcasts, and some of the questions that we're going to be culling into our episodes are going to be coming straight from those comments. You can always email us at newteacherhotline at gmail.com, or you can just comment right there on our our webpage. So I actually have some comments to read from our previous episodes. Okay. I have an email here. I hope they're good. I printed them out. Only read the good ones. Okay. Well, so far they're all good. Okay. Read them all then. Let's see. Here we have a comment. Hello, I'm Rose. I just finished downloading all three episodes that are up and listened to the first one. I really appreciate the humor and the lightness of the intro, and it definitely made it less terrifying to go on listening about my Waterloo classroom management because of the fact that technically it's an environment I haven't been in having tutored for seven years. So she goes on to say that the hotline, the new teacher hotline, is a very, very, very can't stress it enough welcome treat for me. I feel that I'm making leaps and bounds and being given a big window to look through to see the real deal of teaching. Well, I like Rose. That That's very nice. Yes, that it? was very nice. So thank you, Rose. Yeah. If we had, Write another one. If we had T-shirts or merchandise to send out, we most certainly would, but it's uh, all very yeah. hypothetical. Yeah, we should do that. We'll give Rose a ding of the bell. Okay. 
Okay. Well, maybe there is a way. Maybe in the future, one of the things we'll try to do is get some kind of merchandise out or a shirt or I know. something. I got to it. To someone, you think? Yes, I have it. For any email that you read on the air, right. you should send them $100 out of your pocket. I really don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> because none of these pockets have $100 in them. What do I have? I Cell tried. Phone, lint, and a ticket stub to the Harlem Globetrotters game from last weekend. Okay. So that's not going to happen. Then, right? No, but if you want the ticket stub, write me. Uh-huh. Because I don't need it anymore. So let's move on to our actual question for the week. Okay. And we are running short on time, so we're going to have to do a condensed sort of version. A condensed version, yes. Okay, we can do that. Are you prepared? Uh, um, uh, well, I don't know what the question is, so am I prepared? Probably not, but let's go anyway. Okay, here we are. All right. I, this email comes from Carmela, and she says, I teach in a charter school and we are being audited by the state. <laughs> the auditors will want me to show them how I'm teaching each right. standard. Please okay. advise. <clears throat> uh, actually, for, uh, first of all, let me say for the record, we're laughing just because we've been in a situation oh, where we've yes. had to be audited or we've had to be evaluated. I think it used to be called, is it still called Middle States Evaluation when I was well, teaching? Well, it depends on where, what part of the country you're from. Well, I was from the Middle States. Middle States, <laughs> North Central, you know, <laughs> right. there's, there's a lot of different ones. But yes, let me say this, the I'm laughing because I think of the IRS when I'm being audited, which I have been. The IRS it, makes you laugh? It was real funny. <laughs> yeah, lots lots of fun and laughter. But anyway, I see. this is not a bad thing. The way to look at this audit by the state is actually this is a great thing to have because... You're going to say it's an opportunity. That's your thing. I was trying to not use the word opportunity, <laughs> okay. but since you brought it out, you it's can't a help chance. Okay. <laughs> it's a chance for the charter school to demonstrate that they are... 100% compliant with the state indicators or expectations or goals or whatever it is you want to call it. So don't hide from them. Invite them in. Welcome them in. And be prepared to show them everything that you've done. Now, make sure, obviously, that you have the state standards. Right. You can just download them real quickly. That's the backbone of the curriculum. This is what the state says you should be teaching and all the students should be learning and probably they're being tested to see if they've learned it. So that's number one. Number two is read it carefully so that you understand the intent of the curriculum, the intent of the state standards. So here's my lesson plan that verifies that I have taught this particular unit of the state standards and it is in keeping with the philosophy and the intent of the standard. So keeping a good, careful record of your lesson plans. Oh, I would. Keep them all together. Well, and that's just a good, orderly, organized teacher that keeps everything together, three-ring binder or, you know, on your computer or however. Be able to reference every lesson with a state standard. If you can do that, they will love you and say, my, my, what a wonderful job this charter school is doing. So all you basically have to do is take your lesson plans, jot down maybe the number if it's one of those crazy decimal Mm -hmm. numbers. Usually they're numeric, and if not, you can make them numeric. And as long as you have the key and you can show them that every one of the state standards is taught and learned by the student mm-hmm. in the, throughout the course of the year. And that's actually was very helpful for me when I tried to do it once because it's a tedious, long process. You just have to do this giant mix and match. But I found out that there were some things that I didn't get to. So it was actually pretty helpful. And the other way to verify it is, of course, show them some of the tests that you've given mm-hmm. and show, okay, question number five corresponds to this particular state standard and here's number 12. And, you know, show them that you've not only taught it, but you've tested and the students have mastered it. Now, the beauty of this is it really gives the, the charter school something to shine about so that as they're recruiting students to uh, enroll, they can say, well, you know, we've not only met, we have exceeded the state standards and we have proof. 
Right. So it's, it's a great opportunity to move forward. And don't forget that sometimes the standards that are being measured by the state are not just in content, but also in the method in exactly. which the questions are asked. Mm-hmm. So Process. if the states and if the, let's say that there's some sort of state exam mm-hmm. and it requires, say, a short written response or a long written response or a multiple choice, that you are actually measuring those standards in a method that's consistent with the state. Exactly. That's part of the intent of the curriculum. In other words, here's what's written and here's how we're going to assess it. So the short answer is, Carmela, keep very careful lesson plans. Make sure that you align them with the state standards and make sure that you're assessing students in a fashion that's parallel with the state. It sounds like there's fire trucks in the background, so we may have to evacuate the premises immediately. So until next time, if we have survived this incident, my name is Mike. I'm Glenn. We'll see you in the Bankly Lounge. Do you have a question that you would like us to answer on a future podcast? Our experts are standing by. Email us today at newteacherhotline at gmail.com. The New Teacher Hotline is presented every two weeks by the American Board for Certification of Teacher Excellence. Look us up online at www.abcte.org. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the American Board for Certification of Teacher Excellence. In fact, ABCTE makes no claim that downloading this podcast will even be worth your time. But, you know, we, we hope it is. Our theme song is courtesy of Van Davis at www.vandavis.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.